When we hear stories from the life of Christ, it can be easy to miss the full picture. We can carry a mental image of the baby Jesus born in a manger, but can barely begin to comprehend the reality that his life is the point at which all of human history is divided. It's easy to think of Christ as a loving shepherd, but can sometimes be hard to remember he is also the King of Kings. In the Gospels, we see that Christ gave more than was asked, chose compassion over culture, placed love before the law, valued potential over a filthy past, and exhibited servitude instead of standing on his sovereignty. Pause for a moment. Think what it would be like to walk just a few steps in his shoes, to live your life like he lived his. It's simple, really. All of his actions were based on two simple principles, love God and love people. Everything Christ did, every action that is recorded, every step that he took as he strode bravely towards the cross were based on these two simple principles. It's not easy, but it is the simple gospel. All right, welcome. How's everybody today? I was having a great day until a woman asked me if I was wearing skinny jeans and then started laughing hysterically. I don't know what she meant by that. Hey guys, welcome everybody here in Newburgh, our, our wonderful West Campus on Facebook Live. We are so glad that we get to worship together with you. We're continuing on in our series, The Simple Gospel, and The Simple Gospel is all about bringing heaven to earth. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all this will be added unto you. When we pray, we're supposed to pray, God, your kingdom come. What does all that mean? It just means that we take the joys, the glory, the reality of heaven, and we bring it to earth. It means that we share the love of Christ and we create a place on earth that will be like heaven. We're going to continue that series, but I'm going to start by asking you a question that you probably would not want to answer even if you and I were sitting alone at Starbucks. Here's the question. What's your deepest, darkest secret? What if I knew that? What if I knew your secret? I not only knew it, but I called you up on stage and as soon as you got up here, I said, roll the video. And we had it on video. Some of us live in fear of being caught in the wrong act. Some of us feel like uh, if anybody knew who I really am, they wouldn't want to be in the same room with me. Some of us have got that one act in the past, something that we did, some mistake that maybe we live in fear that we're going to be found out that somehow that moment's going to come back to haunt us. Proverbs 28 says this, the wicked run away when no one is chasing them. You ever walked into a room and thought everybody in this room knows what I did, but nobody else in the room knows what you did, really? That's that kind of thing. The wicked run away when nobody's chasing them, but the godly are bold as lions. When we do wrong, we feel like everybody knows. Here, here's the question that, that they're going to be asking Jesus later on as we dig into the text. Jesus, what do you have to say about that? I wonder what God really thinks about you personally. I wonder what God has to say about that struggle that you have. I wonder what God has to say about that deep, dark secret. I wonder what God thinks about you in that moment. Let's pray and get started. Father, we love you and worship and praise you. God, I, I get it. I really do, God. I get it. I, I understand the grace of God, the mercy of God, this overwhelming love of God that I understand that I don't deserve to sit on the stage, but I get to. I get to, that's the grace of God. That's the love of God. We, so many of us, we want to sit back and go, well, I don't deserve it. And we're absolutely right. 
But, but that's the simple gospel. That you love us, that your, your mercy just abounds. Father, help us to see that today. Help us to begin to, under, to understand your mind. Help us as much as we can, God, begin to get it. Lord, it's not what I have to say, but what you have to say. So come and speak, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. There was a lot of confusion about Jesus during his time here on earth. A lot of people were really beginning to think, hey, you know what? I think he really could be the Messiah. I mean, the way he speaks, the way he answers questions, people got, people who were trying to manipulate him and trap him often would walk away going, the Bible would say, from that point on, nobody dared to ask him a question. Because when he answered questions, he answered with such brilliance and such authority that it was hard to dispute what he was saying. And he had this ability to heal the sick. And it just, I mean, didn't that have to come directly from God? Just one illustration, Matthew 15, verse 29, says Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down in a vast crowd. Brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak. And many others, they laid them before Jesus and he healed them all. Bible says the crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking. The blind could see again. And they praised the God of Israel. I mean, people were like, this guy's, this dude's got to be the Messiah. I mean, he's healing people. He's a genius. He's brilliant. The way he answers the things that he does. Well, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day hated him. I mean, they hated Jesus. You want to know why? Because he was so inclusive. He didn't exclude anybody. He didn't cut anybody out. Luke chapter 15 says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. That's an amazing, great word, isn't it? Notorious sinners. What he's saying is everybody knew these guys were evil. Everybody knew these girls were wicked. Everybody knew their sins. They were notorious. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Well, okay, he can't help who's out in the crowd, right? This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. But what? he was even eating with them. He, he would eat with notorious sinners. I mean, seriously wrong people. I mean, do you understand that he allowed a known prostitute to not only attend a dinner party he was at, but to wash his feet with her hair? He told a Jewish tax collector that worked for the Romans that he wanted to have dinner with them. Jews were forbidden to eat with tax collectors. In fact, those guys weren't even allowed in the temple. It was legal to spit on them or throw rocks at them. He drank water out of the same cup of a Samaritan woman, a half-breed, who had known relations with six different men. He drank out of the same cup. What kind of man, let alone God, would do that? Wasn't the coming Savior supposed to be way too pure to associate with people like that? I mean, in all honesty, would you have hung out with those people? Do you? Would you be caught in the company of a known prostitute or a drug user? But Jesus did it all the time. I sometimes wonder if we would have been too embarrassed to hang out in the company of Jesus. 
Now, I'm not sure we would want to have been seen with some of the characters he surrounded himself with. Oh, I can't go in there. Why? Well, there are notorious sinners in there. I can't go in there. People are drinking. I don't want anybody to see me. You know, Jesus really didn't care who saw him. He wasn't like everyone expected him to be. The real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, he was powerful and authoritative, but he was also loving and accepting. He was pure and holy. But we often find him in the midst of broken and twisted people. He genuinely cared about the masses, but he cared about people as individuals. Actually, the only people that he never much cared about were religious or self-righteous people. He didn't care what they thought about him. And to be honest, I don't really either. Jesus had this way of seeing the potential, the potential over the past. He saw the person over the sin. He, he met people on roads near wells and rooms and at temples. And no matter who they were, he saw who they could be. I mean, he just saw the person over the sin. He, he saw so much potential in people. It was almost as if he really wasn't concerned with where they'd been or even where they were. He just saw who they could be. He saw them as these beautiful. You ever watch American pickers? They go into these barns they go into the, and they pull out this rusty stuff that looks like junk. And they're like, oh, this is the most amazing thing in the world. What's it worth? $20,000. You're like, what? That was Jesus, man. He was just treasure hunting with people. He was picking old rusty people up out of the crowd going, wow, I, I can repurpose this. He just always saw the potential over the past. So I want to dig into God's word and, and look at yet another life-changing encounter with Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Let that caught in the act. Let your mind wrap around that. They put her in front of the crowd. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The Pharisees had walked in, in on her. I don't know, maybe they barged into the hotel room. Maybe they busted in the door of her house. But the issue was her private and personal life was suddenly a public spectacle. It was on Facebook Live. Have you ever been caught doing something really embarrassing? Do you sometimes live in fear that someone will catch you when you're doing something you know you shouldn't be doing? She was no longer in the sanctity of her bedroom. John says they put her in front of the crowd. Does that make you just a little bit angry? Her secret sin's now gone viral on social media. I mean, the temple was where everybody went. Everybody. It frustrates me and angers me that they brought her in front of the crowd. They had physically drug her into public. I wonder how that made her feel. What were the looks on the faces around her? I guarantee you that some people were just pointing and angry and it showed and they were glaring. And I'm sure there were some people who were like, I can't look her in the face. I, 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 I got to look away out of embarrassment for her. 
But here's the deal. Embarrassment wasn't enough for these guys. They were going for condemnation. John chapter 8, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? That's a great question. God knows your deepest, darkest sin. He knows who you really are. He knows what you can't hide. What does he have to say about you? Well, I think it would be answered in the same way that it's answered right here and now. It's a great question. I wonder what does he have to say? And listen, before we go, I don't want to sugarcoat this. Even in today's society, the Pharisees were right from a social standpoint. Maybe not in their actions, but certainly in their accusations. She, she had sinned. Having sex with a man who is not your husband was wrong then. And guess what, folks? It's wrong now. Sex has always been a bond meant to bond a relationship together for life. The two flesh becoming one. That's what the Bible's talking about. The problem is people bond and unbond and bond and unbond. Then even marriage isn't forever. It's just maybe not a one night stand, but certainly not for a lifetime. And sleeping with another woman's husband was and should be condemned by society. That act can and has separated and destroyed millions of families. It can leave children without a stable home life and cause confusion that is never ending. Broken homes often, not always, but often create broken people. I know because I have spent a lifetime trying to put those young people back together. And it's not easy. From a social standpoint, the Pharisees were right. Guess what else? The Pharisees were right from a biblical standpoint. The law did call for the death penalty for anyone caught in the act of adultery. Uh, They were referring to Leviticus chapter 20. If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman, and I I get the hypocrisy. Self-righteous people are often have a lot of hypocrisy. The man wasn't there. Both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. They were right from a biblical standpoint. So they thought they had Jesus backed into a corner with that question. John 8, 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, the woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, stoner, what do you say? Well, now if he simply said, let her go, I say let her go, he would have been guilty of breaking Levitical law, the, the law that was laid down in the third book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. If he said stoner, then the people might see him as cold and callous, no kinder than the Pharisees. See, John chapter 8, verse 6 says, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. You know what Jesus said? Nothing. He didn't say, he didn't say anything. He's writing in the dust like he's not paying attention to them at all. You ever been out to dinner with somebody or coffee and all they do is text the entire time you're talking to them? Yeah, that's great. Oh, that's fine. What was that like? That's what's going on here. Anybody got kids? And if your kids are a little older, anybody been yelled at by their children because you're the one texting? 
there is a, there's been a lot of discussion over what he was writing. Some people say he may have been writing the names of every man in that crowd. Perhaps next to their name, he was writing their secret sin. Whatever he was writing, he wasn't answering them. They were so quick to condemn. But here's the thing about Jesus. He was so slow to judge. I mean, you think this righteous judge would have said, dude, you're absolutely right. She's a sinner. She's breaking up families. I stoner. They were so quick to condemn, but he was so slow to judge. I'm wondering, shouldn't you and I be more like that? Are you quick to condemn or slow to judge? Are you the guy who points out the sins of others and and publicly or privately condemns them? My daughter and I were at Starbucks with a person of a different orientation. Came down and sat with us and talking and laughing and joking and I said, you need to come to our church. And they said, you know what? I don't do well at churches. They, they give me dirty looks. And I said, not at our church. Because here's the deal, folks. We are not meant to condemn the world. We are meant to take the salvation of Jesus to the world. We are not the judges because we are not sinless. We are to bring the world to the church. What Jesus said, he didn't say anything. Jesus didn't say anything about the woman to these people. They had already destroyed her with every shred of dignity that she may have had. He wasn't going to add to it. Now imagine what's going through her mind at this time. They're asking him this question. If he says stoner, then they're going to start throwing rocks at her. They start with little rocks at stonings and they graduate to bigger rocks until she dies a very painful death. If he says stoner, the rocks will fly. Even if he says let her go, they may kill her anyway. They, they have already completely destroyed her reputation and they may kill her physically. But the self-righteous, they never let up. I'm right and you're wrong, so I'm gonna point it out. I'm gonna condemn you until you in no way wanna be anywhere near my church or my Jesus. That's what we do. We hate so much that nobody can get through the barrier. Because we're so, do you know why Jesus never had one second for the Pharisees? Because God had come to the Jews. He had come to them and he had said, I'm gonna give you the law, I'm gonna love on you, I'm gonna make you a special people so that you can be my witnesses in all the world. But they said, oh, we're special, we're so holy and we're so pure that we're gonna lock it all in and not let anybody else have it. I'm way too pure for you, don't hang out with me. Jesus is out having lunch with prostitutes, hanging out with drug users and notorious sinners, and the Pharisees couldn't stand him. He's like, well, I don't have any time for you because this is my father's business. My father's business is to go into all the world and to lead people to Christ. That's bringing heaven to earth. I'm supposed to hold it in like it's some wonderful prize. It's to be shared, but the self-righteous never let up. When they think they're right, nothing less than destruction will appease them. Look at John 8, chapter, uh, verse 7. They kept demanding an answer. I don't know how many times. Jesus, 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 we're supposed to kill her. Jesus, what do you say? Jesus, what do you want us to do? They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Brilliant answer. This is why people didn't ask Jesus questions at parties. (laughs) 
All right. You want to kill her? I mean, he's the God of the universe. He spoke everything into existence, right? I mean, he tells waves to shut up and they do. So genius. All right, you want to kill her? Kill her. You want to throw rocks at her? Fine. But the guy who throws the first rock, he's got to be sinless. Only the first guy has to be sinless and anybody else can jump in. You know what Jesus did? He confronted them with their own sin. You want to yell stoner, she's a terrible sinner, fine. But let's deal with your sin first. You want to know why I never look down on others? You know, people will send me these, oh, did you see this guy fell or this guy messed up or let me show you this article. I don't read those articles. Why? Because it's none of my business. I don't keep up with the Kardashians. I mean, you'll send me something, I'll be like, I don't care. Why? Because that's between them and God. Their dignity's already been shredded. Why would I add to it? Want to know why I don't look down on others? You want to know how I could walk the streets with drug addicts and drug dealers for so many years in California? How I could have people with alternative lifestyles and alternative sexual orientations in my house every Monday night for dinner? You want to know why, how I could love a parent who had done anything, and I mean anything but be a decent parent? Because I'm no better than any single one of them, and I get that. It is not my holiness and my righteousness that makes God love me. He came in the midst of me being a horrible, notorious sinner. I'm not shouting their sins in the street because I don't want anybody shouting my sins in the street. Do you? So Jesus is like, okay, you're so righteous. She's so impure. You're so right. She's so wrong. Well, man, you're so sinless. Go ahead and kill her. And then they had to stop and go, wait, I, you know what? There are certain verses in the Bible that scare me to death. You reap what you sow. That one really scares me. If I give you a pot with great soil in it and I give you tomato seeds and you plant them, you know what's going to grow? Tomatoes. Not apples. If, I, if, I, if you plant, I don't know what people plant, daffodils, daffodils are going to grow. And all Jesus is saying in common sense, if you plant backbiting and hatred and discord, guess what's going to spring up in your life? Jealousy and misery. I don't want to see other sins. I, I want to see how much God loves them. And I want to be a shining representation of that love. And if you and I started living that way, then this, man, I'm telling you, then all of the tri-state area would come to know Christ. If you, if you could say, look, like we said to that person at Starbucks, look, come to a church where people are naturally going to love you. Their, their heart's desire is that you come to Jesus and then Jesus will begin molding you into the person he wants you to be. That's not my job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. The only person Jesus seemed to not ever be able to tolerate were the people who thought everyone else was evil and they were so good. He didn't have one second for them. Did, did this woman deserve to be stoned? Yes. So did everybody else in the crowd. See, Jesus saw her potential over her past. And guess what? Not only did he see her potential, he sees your potential. You sit in the corner and say, I'm no good, I'm filthy, I'm foul. And Jesus like, say, absolutely, so let's go. What can I paint on you? 
absolutely yours, so in the wrong. So let you and I begin to fix that. I just present my body unto God and say, God, here I am. And the Lord says, I, I can take you and I can begin to use you. I can take all of your brokenness and I, I see the potential in you. You sit alone in a dark corner hating yourself and the enemy wins and nobody comes to Jesus. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. You think you're so evil? Guess what? You don't have a monopoly on bad. God can't use me. God can pour water out, out of rocks. Don't tell God what he can't do. He can't forgive me. Wow, your sins are greater than the blood of Jesus. That's amazing. This is sarcasm. This is called sarcasm. God can use you. Yet God in his grace, the Bible goes on to say, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalties of our sins. I really don't see a big portion of my work on there. Seems like he's doing it all. He gives me his grace. He did this through Jesus when he freed me from the penalty of my sins. To you who are suffering from self-condemnation, please hear that sentence one more time and take it in. He freed us from the penalty of our sins. And I know, oh, there's various interpretations of the Bible. Okay, help me with he freed us. Freed us, us, he? I mean, I don't know how else to read it. He freed us from the penalty of our sins. You're, you're waiting for the hammer to smash you. You're waiting for the, for the Pharisees to break the doors down. You're waiting for God to say, man, just throw rocks at him. He's no good, she's no good. Because we don't think like God. Because you, you and I don't understand. We are free. There is no more penalty for our sins. Romans, Paul said, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If there's no condemnation and you're waiting to be condemned, what the Bible is trying to tell you, what Jesus is trying to tell you is there's no condemnation left. I'd love to pour it on you, but I don't have any more. Look at the reaction of the crowd. John chapter eight, verse nine. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I love that John writes, they slipped away. Man, when they made the accusations, they came in bold and loud. This woman has sinned. The Old Testament says, stoner, what do you say? They were, they were quick to condemn, quick and loud, but humbled and ashamed when confronted with their own sin. Modern day Pharisees are the same. They're so quick to point out the sins, but blind to others. They'll gossip about you behind your back, but completely overlook the sin of gossiping and backbiting. You would be surprised how many people come to me and, you know, so-and-so, I can't tell you who. Rick, they said you did this and this. I can't believe you did that. And I'm like, go back and tell them I don't care because their sin is greater than mine because the Bible says if you've got a problem with somebody, go to them one-on-one, -on -one, not gossip about it. Stop being backbiters and gossipers. By gosh, if you've got a problem with somebody, go to that person. Why? Because that's what you're supposed to do. What if this place was a place where somebody walked up to you and said, you know, so-and-so, somebody said something negative about you. You can say that's an absolute lie because we don't do that at this church. 
We look just like Jesus. You know, the Bible says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Only that which is good to the use of building others up. And we say, that means don't say swear words. That has nothing to do with swear words. Stop misinterpreting the Bible. The Bible means when your mouth opens up, what ought to be pouring out is praise and love. And, and build. you shouldn't say anything that doesn't build somebody up. You don't have, ever have a right to go to somebody and say, did you hear about? I don't want to hear that garbage. I want to be a place that looks just like Jesus. But truth be told, most of us are all about judgment and retribution. And because we're that way, guess what? We projected God's that way. I'm mean, God must be mean. I want justice. God must want justice. But here's the deal. God's not always like us. We're made in his image. But his ways and his thoughts are above us. Isaiah records God is saying this in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55. This is God's speak. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. We see this little temporal. We see these bumps in the road and we make them into mountains. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts, higher than your thoughts. We're all about judgment, we assume God is. You mess up, you pay. You hurt me, I hurt you. I just believe that we're much meaner than God would ever be. Man, if I was God, there are a few times I'd snap my fingers and folks would just disappear. You know what I'm talking about. You're there too, aren't you? Oh, really? You want to smart mouth me one more time, honey? If you want to look just like Jesus and attend a church that looks just like Jesus, then we need to stop condemning and we need to start sharing. We need to go out to the world and say, hey man, come find a place where God will love you and I will be a representation of that love. People already know they're sinners. What they need is to find a person in a place that loves them anyway. They need to hear about a God who died to take their punishment upon himself. That's our job. That's the simple gospel. That's bringing heaven to earth. Listen, whatever was going on, the men in that crowd did not want to be exposed, exposed for their sin, so they slipped away. They snuck out. The Bible says the older ones first. Why? Because old people are smarter. <laughs> Want to know why? Because 20 years ago, they would have said something, but now they're like, uh-uh. After 27 years of marriage, you know what I say mostly? That's great, hon. That is a great idea. Before I would have said, that's just stupid. I don't say that anymore. Why? Because I've been married 27 years and now I'm old. <laughs> they, he, I think the old people knew that if they picked up a stone, a rock, and was about to throw it, Jesus was going to say, oh, oh, you're sinless? Mm, oh, roll the tape. Big old heavenly screen would have popped up. Now, for the first time, Jesus actually turns his attention to the woman. You realize he hasn't spoken to the woman. There's no arrogance in her. There could be no shred of dignity left in her. John chapter 8, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What? Where are the words of condemnation? Where is the scolding she so richly deserved? Where is the three-hour counseling session that she obviously needed? No wonder the Pharisees were frustrated. 
This woman had sinned and sinned in a huge way. She'd broken one of the top 10 commandments. Number seven, in fact, thou shalt not commit adultery. How in the world did Jesus let her off with, okay, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Have a great day. Catch at the well. I mean, how? You know how Jesus' answer is recorded earlier in the Bible in John chapter 3 when this Pharisee named Nicodemus snuck into Jesus and said, hey man, how do I get to heaven? I know my brothers don't like you, but dude, you got something going on. This is Jesus' answer. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's the greatest simplicity, isn't it? If I, Jesus, I believe you love me and died on the cross to pay for my sins. I want that payment. It's a free gift. It's the greatest gift, the most simplistic gift. Salvation is a matter of me just accepting the gift that Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. God sent his son into the world. This is John 317, we rarely read. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. So guess what? You and I don't have a right to judge anybody else. Not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. He goes on to say, there is no judgment. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. That's all he's saying there is, the only sin you're ever gonna be judged for is rejecting Jesus Christ. I mean, did, did you get that? Jesus said he didn't come in the world to judge the world. He didn't come in this world to judge you, but to save you. So how about if we stop judging? How about if we stop having those horrible private meetings, telling everyone else how horrible somebody else is? And how about if we stop judging ourselves and just put our lives and our reputation into the hands of God? See, there was one person, there was one person at this little public display of humiliation that had a right to throw a rock, and his name was Jesus. He had never sinned. He had led a perfect life. He had every social, biblical, and political right to throw the first rock. And that would allow everybody else to join in. But guess what? He wasn't there to condemn her, to kill her, or destroy her. He was there to restore her. He was there to lift her back up. And he isn't in the business of condemning, killing, or destroying you either. He wasn't seeking to add to her shame. He was seeking to facilitate her restoration. Jesus was and is in the business of restoration. 2 Corinthians 5 says, for we are made... For God made Christ who never knew sin to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with Christ through, so we can be made with God, right with God through Christ. There was a trade. Do you understand that he did the same thing to us that he did at that woman? Okay, you're not sinless. Go. He did the same thing to us. He looked at us and said, Rick, I want to condemn you. Or Rick, you deserve condemnation, but you know what? Go and sin no more, brother. He, he loves us. He died on the cross. He took all of our shame. He restored every one of us. Rehear the words that Jesus said to Nicodemus. There is no judgment against anyone who believes. Now, wait, he said, don't sin, don't sin. But he, here's the deal. In, in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible tells us that, that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witness. And it tells us that we're supposed to set off the sin that so easily besets us. I don't have 
time to read it all, but in verse two, it says, how do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who catches this initiates and perfects our faith. How do I get sinless? How do I, how do I obey the commandment? The same way I got saved. I simply say, Jesus, I'm, I'm a sinner. God, I call upon you to save me. And he does. And then I say, God, I want to look just like you. And the Bible says he is the champion. He is the initiator. He is the one who makes you holy. All I can do is daily say, God, all this is all of yours. God, make it any way you want to. You made my mouth, God, when it opens, speak what you want to speak. And God, if I mess up, I know that you will forgive me. But God, we will try again tomorrow. And God is ultimately patient. How do, I, how do I please God? The same way I was saved, I put my full trust in him. I keep my eyes on him. I don't get caught up in self-condemnation. The Bible says there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Put your trust in him completely and allow him to begin the work of salvation and restoration. Father, we love you and worship and praise you. You are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And God, you, you, are, you love to be in the company of notorious sinners because they're the ones who needed you. And God, might we love to be in the company of notorious sinners and look just like you, loving and caring. And might we love them all the way to the cross, all the way to the church, all the way to the baptismal pool. Stop condemning ourselves and the world around us, Father, for we ask it in Christ's precious name. We love and adore you in Jesus' name. Amen.